So how's it going? I know, that's kind of a dumb question for one person to ask to, to all of you. It's just always fun to see what I might get back, other than like stunned silence. And, and should I say anything or not? A couple of you are willing to pitch in. Thank you. So how's it going? All right. That's, that's why we had one person clapping during the song and not like 250 of us. There's just, there's, some of us are just more reserved, I guess. Not you and me, Steve. Not you and me. Hey, right now, we're, uh, we're in the middle of a series on the book of Revelation. We've been working through that for a while here this spring or this fall, and, and we're going to keep going a little while until we work through it. And today, we're going to take a big chunk of Scripture, and I realize that. But in case you haven't been here with us for the last couple of weeks, here are a couple of reminders. Uh, or if, if you were here, these are reminders. If you weren't here, this might help you to kind of level set and kind of get your mind around what we're talking about with the book of Revelation, because lots of people talk about the book of Revelation in a lot of different ways. And I understand that, and I'm aware of that. But I can only talk about one way at a time, okay? So here are a couple of reminders. Number one, Revelation is an apocalypse of Jesus. In the very first verse of the book of Revelation, it says in English, this is the revelation from Jesus Christ. In Greek, it says this is the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. So, so this is the apocalypse. We, when we think of apocalypse in 2021, we think of like fiery end times and, you know, what is happening at the end of the world. An apocalypse really is just a revealing. It's like you have a box in front of you with a lid on top. You don't know what's inside. When you take off the lid, you reveal what's in there. That's an apocalypse. Or if something's behind a curtain and you pull back the curtain to see what's back there, that's an apocalypse in the strictest sense of the word. So Revelation, this is an apocalypse. It's not necessarily about fiery endings to the world, although you may read that in there. That is not the whole content of it. So it's an unveiling. I think the best way for us to think about it, Revelation is an unveiling of how things actually are. Let me give you an illustration. In the Old Testament... In the book of 2 Kings, there's a story about Elisha. Elisha was a prophet from God. And Elisha was in a city, and there were, there were enemies all around them. There was political turmoil. There was, there was geopolitical war. And Elisha had a servant. It says in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15, when the servant of the man of God, that is Elisha's servant, when he got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded their city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, Elisha answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. The servant came back and he looked out on the plain and he was in this city that was fortified but was outmanned, outgunned, outmilitaried. I don't think that's really a word, but you get the gist, right? Elisha's servant looked out. What are we going to do? There are more soldiers out there than we have in here. Elisha says, Elisha says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then it says in 2 Kings 6, 17, Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And then here is an apocalypse. Here it is. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Chariots of Fire, there's where the movie title comes from. Dun, 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 dun. We've got this picture of Elisha overwhelmed, and, and it looks like the good guys are going to lose. Elisha says, don't worry, there are more with us than with them. The servant says, what are you talking about? Elisha prays and says, open his eyes. Apocalypsis him, 
If Elisha had been speaking in Greek, Elisha was not speaking in Greek, but apocalypsis him. And then the veil was torn back and, and then the servant could see the reality of what it was. God's soldiers out there. And if you want to read more about this beautiful story, just go to Second Kings this afternoon at lunchtime. Fascinating stuff. I think of Revelation a little bit that way. This is God speaking through Jesus Christ to John nearly 2,000 years ago, and Jesus gives him an apocalypsis. He gives him a revelation. He pulls back the curtain and says, this is how things really are. That's Revelation. Revelation 1.1 goes on, though. It says, this is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. That's read out of the New International Version. What must soon take place. Now, when is soon? We're going to leave soon. We're getting in the car soon. Four-year-old, we're going to get ice cream soon. How soon is soon? These are some of the challenges we run into, right? This is, this, is why, this is why people for centuries have been able to argue, brilliant people, faithful people of God, have been able to argue about Revelation and say, well, I think it means this. And another brilliant, faithful person of God says, I think it means that. And they're arguing sometimes about, well, what does soon mean? Because this was written 2,000 years ago. You'd think soon would have happened by now, right? But maybe not because we know that with God, a day is like 1,000 years and 1,000 years are like a day. We need to be careful how we read things. Soon may be a relative term. Be careful. Number three, Revelation is an apocalypse of a person. It's an apocalypse of Jesus. There's a revelation here of Jesus given to John, spoken through Jesus about Jesus. Revelation is all about Jesus. In fact, there are some who argue that the most important part of Revelation is not the end of it, which we often get to quickly. There are some who argue that the most important part of Revelation is chapters 4 and 5, which we talked about last week and we'll talk about today. So this revelation, this revelation, it is an apocalypse. It is a revealing about something going to happen soon, about Jesus Christ. And then finally, Revelation uses a lot of symbols. Church, don't get too wrapped up in them. Be careful. It is true that a picture is worth a thousand words. This is why God speaks through John and gives us all these pictures. Jesus is giving John a picture which is delivered to us and is telling us about Jesus and his work. But don't, church, don't get so wrapped up in the details of the picture that you miss the main point, which is Jesus. All right, all of that in mind, let's read Revelation. Quick reminder of Revelation 4. This is what we said last week. John is, John is in the Spirit. He says, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. The voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And then in Revelation 4, 6, we read last week how in the center of this vision, around a throne were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and in back. First living creature was like a lion, second like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, and this is what we emphasized. There are lots of interesting characteristics about them, but look what they're doing. They cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is their job. They proclaim holiness of the Lord day and night. They never stop. And then in Revelation chapter 5, we pick up with some new material that we didn't touch last week. 
John still has this vision of this throne room. And, and if you'll remember, there is this throne in the center where there's lightning and flashes of thunder and, and all kinds of imagery of these like just clear, light, brilliant, and there's a floor like glassy sea, and there's 24 thrones around the one throne. And on those 24 thrones are elders, and they have, they have crowns, and they bow down to the Lord Jesus. They bow down to the Almighty God. It says in Revelation 5, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that is the Lord, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Now, how many of you have a scroll with seals on it in your home? Do any of you? Does anybody have one? Seriously. Anybody have a scroll with a seal on it? Well, if you lived 2,000 years ago and you were a person of any kind of possessions, you might have. This is a pretty typical way of wrapping up a contract wrapping up something like a, a purchase of property. Any of you have a safe deposit box? That might be a different question, right? Any of you have like a, a, a deed to your property stashed somewhere? This is the equivalent kind of thing. So, so a, seal, a sealed scroll is not just something random coming out of Revelation. This would have been a contractual style of the day. This is the kind of things that Rome used. When they wrote things down, official documents, they would seal them up. And not just with one seal, because you could fake one seal. But each of these seals marked a different witness saying that, yes, that, you know, I'm putting my mark on this too, that this is a legitimate document. It's notarized, so to speak. That's the picture here. And so this is a fairly standard format for contracts of the time when John was writing 1930 years ago. Some say it helps in Revelation to imagine this scroll as a will, a description of what Jesus is inheriting, not just what he's getting, but how he's going to inherit the earth. Okay, that's the picture, a scroll with seven seals on it. John continues with his revelation, Revelation 5.2. He says, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside you can picture John, he's, he's so excited. This is like the culmination. We're finally, you know, it's, it's going to be the, un, it's the reading of the will. I'm going to find out what this is all about, but nobody can open it. No one has the authority. It says no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, no one living or dead. And then verse five, one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and his seven seals. Now, for those of you who are Bible study giants, who is this Lion of Judah, the Root of David? We've sung about him before. This is Jesus, right? We're talking about Jesus. The Lion of Judah. Lion because he conquered sin. Of the tribe of Judah because that was his historical genetic lineage. He came out of the tribe of Judah. The root of David. King David was one of his ancestors. He can open it because he has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll when it's seven seals. You know, there are a lot of people who try to take over the world. Have you noticed this? I mean, your history books, you go back to your high school history class. You'll read story after story after story for thousands of years of people who thought they were going to take over the world, going to take over the world with their armies, going to take over the world with their ideas. Today, people are going to take over the world with their microphone or with their platform. 
People are going to take over the world with their technology, with their invention. How many of you, when you were little, thought you were going to take over the world with your baseball bat? You were going to take over the world with your singing voice. You were going to take over the world with just the fact that people liked you. People have been trying to take over the world forever, but no one in heaven or on earth was able to open this scroll. None has succeeded. None can claim this inheritance. None can open the will. So John wept. And then one of the elders comes to him and says, John, don't weep. Look, here is Jesus. And so John hears, notice he hears about this Lion of Judah. See, the Lion of Judah, the tribe, he's triumphed. He is able to open the scrolls. This is what he hears about from this elder. But look at verse 6. Then I saw, he hears about the Lion of Judah, and then I saw a lamb, who is the lamb, also Jesus. I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. So here's this picture of a lamb looking like it had been slain on the throne, the throne occupied by God. Here is this lamb standing at the center encircled by the four living creatures, whose job it is to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They don't get it wrong. They know who God is. And here we have the elders bowing down as well. They know that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God, Jesus Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, all the triune God. And then it describes, in the second half of verse 6, this lamb. It says, the lamb had, this is unlike any I've seen, The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, we could talk a long time about numbers. What do they mean? Are they symbols or are they statistics? We could talk a long time about how biologically odd this would be to see a lamb with seven horns and seven... I mean, every once in a while you see a two-headed something, right? Or, or, you know, maybe a lamb that has like two bodies and seven tails. There's some weird things that happen in genetics these days, but... Seven eyes and seven horns? Well, here's a lamb in the center of it all. Seven in the Bible is a number of perfection, of completion. A lot of that comes out of Genesis. How long did it take God to create the earth and then rest? We hear seven days being listed. But here John tells us, he interprets it, just in case we weren't sure. John says, no, these these eyes, they stand for the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold spirit which is occasionally referred to the names of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. So here's Jesus, full of of the Spirit of God, these eyes symbolizing the knowledge and the Holy Spirit of God with these horns. What's a horn symbolize? Horns symbolize the power that might be available. So perfect in power, perfect in knowledge, perfect in the Spirit. Here is Jesus, and to John, he looks like a lamb. Remember, this lamb piece is just a symbol because he's also called a lion. He didn't come out like that. And if you'll remember, there was a time after Jesus' death on the cross and after he rose from the grave and after he ascended into heaven that he appeared to his disciples. Mm, I got my timeline mixed up there. There's a time after his death where Jesus appeared to his disciples. Do you remember what he looked like? He didn't look like a lamb. He had been slain. Do you remember when he appeared to his disciples? I'm thinking especially of the upper room. And Thomas kind of walked in late, said, I didn't get to see Jesus. 
Jesus said to him, Thomas, it's, it's me. Look, I've got the scars right here. Jesus standing there in human form. He didn't show up like a lamb. He didn't show up like a lion. He showed up like the Jesus they knew. What does that mean? Does that mean that we throw out all the images here? No, it means that we're very careful about what we say. Jesus is indeed like a lamb in that he gave himself to be sacrificed. He is like a lion in that he has all power, but when he showed himself to his disciples, he looked like Jesus. Be careful, church, that you're not so fascinated with the symbolism that you missed the point. The point is, here is a lamb, Jesus Christ, who's being bowed down to by everyone. All these songs that we sing about thrones and bowing down, this is where it comes from. All out of Revelation. You see why some people say that Revelation 4 and 5 might be the most important part of Revelation? Because who's at the center of it all? Jesus is here. And there's a couple ways that he's described. Because, because we people like pictures, don't we? Pictures stick with us. I ought to have more of them up here. Pictures stick with us and help us to learn. You teachers know this, right? Engage as many senses as you can. Not just the ears, but the eyes so that people can see and they can get a, get a hold of this. This is a revelation. Jesus is revealing himself to John. And John is looking at it, describing it to us. He's like, what? He's going to be the lion of Judah. And he's also, I see this lamb. Here's this picture that's brought to him. What did the lamb do? Verse 7. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders sat down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. They were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. As I said last week, it's interesting to think about who these folks all are, but let's focus more on what they're doing. They bow down. They bow down to Jesus. In heaven, in heaven it's very clear who is at the top of the pyramid. It's very clear who is deserving of worship. The Lord is deserving of worship. Nobody else. So they bow down. They know who this is. They have harps to sing praises. Thank you, Ross. And they hold these bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Do, it, do, any, of you, do any of you have incense in your house? Let me ask a different question. Don't raise your hand. Do any of you have incense in your house and not like it? Maybe someone else in your home just loves it. What is it about incense? It doesn't just stay. It, it gets everywhere, right? It gets in everything. It gets in your clothes. It's everywhere. These people there, these, these folks who have these bowls, they're down before God with this incense that is the prayers of God's people. The prayers of God's people surround God, fill this room. And these people sang a new song in verse 9, saying to Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Here is a new song. I've never sung this one. I'm not sure if you have either. But these sing to Jesus and say, you're worthy to take it. Why? Because you were slain. Jesus finds his victory in the fact that he gave himself up. And with his blood, it says, he purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. This is why there is no room for racism. This is why there is no room for discrimination based on ethnicities and these kinds of things. This is why there can be no thought of, well, we've got it better than everyone else because we're Americans and they're them. No, every tribe and nation before the Lord, every tribe and language and people are going to have representatives before God. Because Jesus paid for us. That's the message of the gospel, right? We've all committed sins that we shouldn't have done. 
Sometimes we realize it, sometimes we don't, but we've all made mistakes. And because of that, we owe a debt that gets paid at death. But Jesus Christ gave his perfect life in our place so that we could have eternal life with the Lord. He says, look, you can't fix yourselves. I will fix you. You can't take away your sins. Jesus says, I will forgive you. And he has the authority to do that because he died for us and he rose from the grave conquering death. Death no longer has any claim on the Christian. This is the gospel here. Is Revelation 5 important? Absolutely it is. They sang this song, you are worthy to take this scroll because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Verse 11, then I looked. John just keeps seeing things. Can you imagine just one vision after another? I, I wonder how long he dwelt on each one. I mean, that would be something to see that, wouldn't it? And now here's this next thing. It's like, like drinking from a fire hose. He said, I looked and heard the voice of many angels. Now, these are angels. Remember, folks, keep your, keep your characters straight. Pastor Steve's been teaching about angels. Angels, these are not people. These were never people. Angels are not like the souls of people who go to heaven. Every once in a while, somebody, you know, someone that they love dies and says, well, heaven has another angel. I understand the sentiment, but that's incorrect. Heaven doesn't get more angels when people die. People, when we die and go to heaven, we are saved people. There's a whole different character called an angel. And so these people are singing to Jesus and saying, your blood purchased for God, persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's going to be a huge crowd. But then he says, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels. This is a whole different crowd numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. If you wanted to get statistical, you'd say this is millions of 10,000 times 10,000. Well, that's a whole lot. This is millions of angels. It's hard to stand up here and count how many zeros are in 10,000. I guess that's eight zeros, right? So 10,000 times 10,000. Is that 100 million? I don't, I'm looking at you, John. I'm sorry. I just keeps going over there. Yeah. 10 to the eighth. Yeah, that's helpful. There's 10 to the eighth angels here in heaven. You nerds in the crowd are just loving it, aren't you? Yeah, I'm not listening to this pastor anymore. He's an idiot. Yeah. John looked and saw many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000, 10 to the eighth plus. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they were saying. You don't think poetry matters? You don't think songs matter? Here's what they're saying. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. You know, it's kind of interesting. I heard, a, I heard a, a, a commentator this week saying that um, what Jesus is doing here, because remember, this is Jesus speaking to John. Jesus is showing all of this stuff to John, okay? They said actually what Jesus was doing here was, uh, was ripping off the Romans because this is what would have been said to Caesar. 
When Caesar walked into the Senate, when Caesar walked into a palace, when Caesar was in someone's presence, do you know what the Romans were supposed to say to Caesar? Oh, Caesar, you are worthy. Because honestly, how does Jesus need power and wealth? But to Caesar, they would say, worthy are you, Caesar, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. That's a long list. There's seven things there. Those are the things that were ascribed to Caesar. Jesus is speaking to John, who was alive in the time of the Caesar, and says, oh, no. Caesar may have his chance, but I've got the stuff. And through John, remember, John is writing this all down as a letter. This was being sent out to those seven churches and around the world in the time when Rome was the world power. When Caesar demanded that people worship him as a god, not even Caesar wouldn't have even said as a god. He would have said he was the supreme. He, he saw himself as that mighty. Jesus here, speaking an entire truth, but maybe with a wink, says... <laughs> I'll show you who's worthy. I'll show you 10 to the 8th angels. And Jesus says, they tell me. I'm worthy to receive power, wealth, wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. So it's not enough that all these angels are singing. John says in Revelation 5.13, he says, uh, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and on the sea, and that is in them. This is not just all the people. This is not just a bunch of angels. This is all the creatures. I heard every creature saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor, glory and power, forever and ever. This last song that we sang here a while ago, it's always struck me as an interesting poetic contract. Be to our God. Be is a weird word to start a phrase with. You have to know what comes before it. And in our verses, we do. Praise and glory, wisdom, and thanks, honor, power, and strength. I always get strength and thanks mixed up. To all of them, be to our God. This is what these creatures are saying. This is what all of us will say. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor, glory and power forever and ever. And after all that singing, it says in verse 14, the four living creatures, remember, with like the face of a, a lion, the face of an eagle, the face of an ox, the face of a human, the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. That's quite a chapter, isn't it? You get the picture. Here is Jesus in the center of it all. Here, here is Jesus, the the lamb who was slain. Here is Jesus, the lion of Judah. Here is Jesus who encapsulates all that and who is worthy according to the angels, who is worthy according to all the creatures, who is worthy according to those elders and according to those four very specific creatures. Jesus Christ is worthy of every good thing that we can give. And he can open the seal. And so in Revelation 6, we're going to go through Revelation chapter 6 too quickly today. But this is why I think we can get away with this. Because we have small groups working throughout the week. And if you're in a small group right now, you've been working through discussion questions based on the previous week's sermon. And some of those questions are, if you're interested, go a little deeper. Look at this topic. Look at this chapter. Think about this idea. And so I know we are going to be moving quickly here. 
looking at these seals in Revelation 6. We'll get into Revelation 7. We're going to look at them quickly. I hope you have a chance to study them deeply a little later this week. But here's what it says, Revelation 6, verse 1. I watched. John is a witness of this. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. It's like a reading of the will. And he says, then I heard one of the four living creatures, ox, eagle, lion, man, we don't know which one, but one of the four living creatures said in a voice like thunder, come. I wish I could speak like thunder. I always wanted to have a deep voice. When I was growing up, I wanted to be the bass in some kind of old time gospel quartet. I never got there. I've always, I've always been a tenor. Come. Uh, imagine the, Chuck, where's Chuck? Give me a, come. Oh, that's, oh, Whew. all right. I looked, I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Lots of people have said lots of things about what this means. I know that. And maybe you'll read some of those things this week. But here is, here is something that I have noticed. This may be something that happens in the future, but this is not only in the future. Since the time of Jesus, since the time of the apostles, haven't people been bent on conquest? We should be able to wrap our minds around this a bit. No doubt it will get worse. But this white horse and rider, what they are doing is representing conquest on the earth. It's amazing to me. Some of the maps that I looked at as a junior high kid are different now. The lines of the countries are different. Some of the, I had a map or a globe that I got when I was in fourth or fifth grade. I got it for Christmas. Thanks, mom. That was what I wanted. <laughs> but I got a globe. I must have looked at it. I remember because there was this one big area called the USSR. That's not on maps anymore. And I'm not even as old as some of you. That's just one example. Are people bent on conquest? Are, the, are, are the, the barriers changing? Are the boundaries moving? How often does that happen peacefully? How often does that happen with excitement? Isn't there usually tension and stress, warfare and battle? This is what this white horse brings. And in fact, I would suggest it's been being brung for almost 2,000 years. And long before that, there are some who see this as a strictly future thing. Their perspective of Revelation is that all of this has yet to unfold. But there are others who agree that there are future aspects of this vision, but that we can see this already happening. Here's a white horse with a rider bent on conquest. This white horse has a crown, or the, the rider has a crown. And we have seen this for all humanity. People with their crowns moving around the borders to suit themselves. And everybody else gets shuffled in the mix. Men and women want to take over the world, right? The map's changing all the time. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. This red horse and rider represents bloodshed. And while yes, there will be bloodshed certainly in the future, can we see that there has been bloodshed even now in our world? These 2,000 years, how many lives have been lost because of a lack of peace? Just this morning, I got a, 
I got, an e, or I got a text showing the news of 17 missionaries in Haiti who were kidnapped. I believe they were kidnapped yesterday. Missionaries who have been there working on an orphanage. And we have friends from Haiti, don't we? Missionaries who were there working on an orphanage, and as they were leaving and getting ready to go back to the airport to, to go back home, they were assaulted by a gang, and there's a lot of stuff still unknown right now. I mean, talk about a lack of peace in the world. It's going to get worse. But we can identify with this, can't we? People kill each other. Every day in the news we hear of death. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice from among the four living creatures. It doesn't say it's a voice of one of the creatures. It says from among them. Who is among the creatures? Seems to be that this would be the voice of the Lord, saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and don't damage the oil and wine. In other words, there will be famine. Have to work a whole day for two pounds of wheat, or a little bit of barley. That's a tough day, isn't it? I mean, Doug, how long does it take you to find two pounds of wheat? I, I know you plant it back in the spring, and you wait, and you know, and all this back in the winter. I don't even know how to farm stuff, but... You know, two pounds of wheat, you could, you could give all of us two pounds of wheat this afternoon. You wouldn't miss any of it. God says that's a day's wages. There's going to be famine. And, and for our world, that's nothing new, is it? How many of you are on a diet plan of some kind because you feel like you're too heavy? And yet there are people in our world starving, dying today. We know what this is like. We know that things are not just this third horse, this black horse, brings famine. Again, this is future, but it doesn't seem to be only future. And when the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. Some of you heard Wyatt Earp quote this. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. This fourth horse brings death through disease and the beasts of the earth. I heard one commentary. I've been reading a lot of commentaries on these passages, trying to figure it all together. Somebody said that it's hard to imagine the beasts of the earth doing a whole lot of damage against humanity. I mean, haven't we pushed them out? Aren't they in like the remote places? And someone said, well, rats are beasts of the earth. And imagine if there is war and famine and pestilence, just how messy those little fellows could be. Huh. This fourth horse is given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. These, these, uh, these four horsemen of the apocalypse, so they're called, they're being called out by whom? They're being called out with these thunderous voices by the creatures around whose throne? Around God's throne, right? This is a moral conundrum for some. How can a loving God allow such death, such travesty, such pain? We'll get into this more over the next couple of weeks. But these four horsemen, they bring conquest, murder, famine, death. They're let loose on the earth and God allows it. In fact, the creatures from God's throne room call for it. They called out these horses. For some of us, that's a hard thing to reconcile. How can God allow this? 
We're not alone in our questions. The fifth seal, verse 9. When Jesus opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar. So this is in heaven. This is close to God. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. The martyrs. The martyrs. John sees them. and says, they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? That's the cry of these folks who have been killed for their testimony. How long, Lord? How long until you will make this right? How long until justice will come? I had a conversation with a young man yesterday. And his, his conversation was just, how long do I have to deal with this? He says, I've got a situation that just, as soon as I think it's over, it doesn't, it's not over. And the things around me and the people around me and the situation around me, how long do I, I love God and God loves me. How long do I have to deal with this? Have you asked this question? I do. And the martyrs do too. How long, Lord? until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Yes, we know that we are called to forgive, but Lord, you can do something. You know, Romans 12, 18, Paul writing to the church in Rome, he says, if it's as possible, as far as it depends on you, this is to the church, believers, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Romans 12, 19, do not take revenge. Okay, we get it. We bless our enemies. We forgive but Romans 12, 19 ends like this. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Don't crowd your own way in there. Let God take care of things, for it is written. And this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. We are in a season right now where God's grace is flowing and God is still calling people back to himself. In fact, there were a few of us who got to have lunch last week with Galen Burkholder. Galen Burkholder was the, is the president of Global Disciples. He was here last week and, and spoke with us a little bit. We got to have lunch with him, and he shared an amazing statistic with me. Here's a little bit more math, John. Get ready. You, you quants out there, get ready, to, get ready to put it all together, okay? Galen Burkholder, whose job is mission work, said that by conservative estimates, by conservative estimates, 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ every hour. That's the reality right now. By, this is not just by Christian groups putting this together. This is by legitimate research studies, including Christian groups, studying the, the, the people of the world. 3,000 people every hour. 72,000 people every day. 72 times 365. <laughs> Bigger than that. If that statistic is accurate, since we've been sitting here in this room, 5,000 people have come to Christ. And the souls under the altar cry out, how long, Lord? And you and I, we cry out, how long, Lord? I mean, how long does this earth have to be this way? Now, if you were sitting on the throne, praise the Lord, none of us are. But if you were sitting on the throne and you were seeing 3,000 people coming to faith in Jesus Christ every hour, what do you have, John? 26,280,000. 26, 
26 million people every year. That doesn't sound like that much, right? Because I don't know what 26 million of anything looks like. 3,000 people an hour. 72,000 people a day. A whole football stadium of people coming to Jesus Christ every day or day and a half if you're at Penn State. How long, O oh Lord? And God says, just a little longer. I've got another football stadium I need to bring in tomorrow. Does that help you to frame time a little bit differently? Sorry, it, it touches something in me that says, okay, how long can I wait? Can I go another hour for 3,000 people that I'm going to get to meet in heaven someday? All the lost folks. Oh, we want justice. Yes, we want justice. And maybe along with these souls, we cry out, how long, sovereign Lord? It says in verse 11, each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. God didn't leave these folks alone. God doesn't leave us alone. He gave them a white robe, symbolizing that they were cleansed. I will be whiter than snow. They were cleansed, and they were clothed, and they were covered. God had them. He says, just a little longer. How many of us, we are cleansed, right? We come to Jesus Christ, and we are cleansed. How many of us are clothed? How many of us are covered? I know, life is hard, but... Can we go a little longer? Time's up. There's a lot of revelation stuff to keep going through, and we're going to keep going through it. But I hope that what you're hearing is that Jesus' revelation to John just pulls back the curtain and says, this is what's really going on. These are the kind of things that are not just going to happen, but are also happening now. Here's how you can think about it. And I'm stuck on these words. Can you wait a little longer for 3,000 souls an hour? I'm, I'm still blown away. I can wait a little longer. How about you? Oh, let's pray to the Lamb. To the, to the Lamb who is worthy of all glory and honor and riches and wisdom and fame. Let's pray to the Lord Jesus. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus, keep doing your work. Keep doing your work. We praise you. We praise you, Lord, because we know that you are worthy. You alone are worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Lord, we give it all to you. Lord, as we study Revelation, help us. Help us to think well, to be wise, and help us to be careful about how we talk to each other. Lord, let us not impose our ideas upon each other in a way that would be inappropriate. But help us to hold strong onto the truth. And help us remember the big truth that we've seen today, that, Lord, you are powerful, and you are drawing people to you and you are worthy of all of our praise. Thank you, Lord, for this chance to be together today. Show us your way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.